Hey, everybody. It is Thursday, June 15th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. I just want to tell everybody that I told Jill <laughs> that she did not have to record a podcast on her birthday. And she's like, oh, great. Like, I'm going to go out to dinner with my family and enjoy the evening. And then your co-host here gets a text message from Jill as she's coming back from her birthday dinner saying, hey, have you recorded yet? I want back in. <laughs> no. Okay. First of all, much appreciated that you very, very graciously gave me the day off. And it was awesome. And it allowed me to have kind of this stress-free birthday. And I had said, even when we spoke earlier, I said, listen, depending on how many glasses of wine I wind up having at dinner, that will be the basis for whether or not I do the podcast. So I'll text you and kind of keep you in the loop if I'm going to do it or not. And I went to dinner. I had one glass of wine. It was wonderful. I had a great time with my family. I came home. I had to do bedtime. Any sort of like happiness buzz that I had <laughs> went away. And I'm like, you know what? I'm up. I may as well do the podcast. All right. So the headline tonight is Jill is sober on her birthday <laughs> and wanted back in on the podcast. Well, Jill, take it away. All right. Let's get to some news here. The U.S. has been holding secret talks with Iran to try to calm tensions and bring about the return of Americans imprisoned there. The death of U.S. gold medalist sprinter Tori Bowie because of childbirth complications is opening up a conversation about maternal health, especially in the black community. The Fed is finally taking a break from all the interest rate hikes, but warned that we could see a couple more this year. Bud Light officially loses its crown as the best-selling beer in America. Another Republican candidate joins the presidential race. This time, it's the mayor of Miami. Starbucks ordered to pay more than $25 million to a white employee in a discrimination lawsuit and some good news in the fight against breast cancer. Plus, Moshe will have on this day in history. Jill, we're going to remember the Spice Girls today. Are you ready? Today and every day, Moshe. <laughs> All right, let's start with a major revelation. Yesterday in multiple media outlets, the Biden administration has been negotiating quietly with Iran to limit their nuclear program and free imprisoned Americans as part of a larger U.S. effort to ease tensions and reduce the risk of a military confrontation. The goal of the United States is to reach an informal, unwritten agreement, which some Iranian officials are calling a political ceasefire. It would aim to prevent a further escalation in a long, hostile relationship that's grown even more fraught as Iran builds up a stockpile of highly enriched uranium close to bomb-grade purity. They're also supplying Russia with drones for use in Ukraine and brutally cracking down on domestic political protests. American officials wouldn't discuss efforts to win the release of prisoners in detail beyond calling that an urgent U.S. priority. The indirect talks, some which happened this spring in the country of Oman, reflect a resumption of diplomacy between the United States and Iran after the collapse of more than a year of negotiations to restore the 2015 nuclear deal. Speaking at a news conference on Wednesday, the State Department spokesperson saying that rumors about a nuclear deal, interim or otherwise, are false or misleading. 
the American denial of a pending nuclear deal could really be semantics if the outcome amounts to an informal understanding. A quote-unquote understanding would also avoid the need for approval from a U.S. Congress that is deeply hostile to Iran. Yeah, potato, potato, Jill. Deal, understanding. (laughs) Regardless, it appears there's some new pact on the way. A couple of Israeli officials that the New York Times spoke to say a deal is imminent. It will reportedly include a promise by Iran not to enrich uranium beyond its current production level of 60% purity. That is close to, but short of, the 90% purity needed to develop a nuclear weapon. That's a level that the U.S. has warned would force a severe response by this country. As part of this deal, they're also calling on Iran to halt lethal attacks on American contractors in Syria and Iraq. Through its proxies in the region, Iran funds groups like Hezbollah and other terrorist groups in the region to help push forward its military agenda. The deal apparently will also include allowing in inspectors uh, to inspect their nuclear uh, facilities in Iran and a promise from Iran to stop selling ballistic missiles to Russia. In return, Iran would expect the U.S. to avoid tightening sanctions already choking its economy, not to seize any oil-bearing foreign tankers as it did in April, not to seek any new resolutions at the U.N., and they also expect the U.S. to unfreeze billions of dollars in Iranian assets. Now, this part of the deal, the U.S. allowing billions to go back into Iran, would apparently be part of this exchange for American prisoners who are wrongfully detained in the country right now. Now, the U.S. officials are, again, very clear to say, no, there's no linkage here between the prisoners and the money. But, uh, you know, this is one large package here. So you can look at this holistically. The U.S. has already issued a waiver in the last week to allow Iraq to pay more than $2.7 billion in energy debts to Iran. Iranian officials are also trying to claim $7 billion worth of oil purchase payments held in South Korea right now. So in essence here, the deal reflects the previous nuclear deal, but is is different, which is Iran says we're not going to develop nuclear weapons. We won't engage in uh, killing Americans in the Middle East through our terrorist groups that we fund. And the U.S. then promises to allow billions to flow into Iran. Now, one thing U.S. officials make clear in a couple of these reports, Jill, is that the money they're allowing into Iran, they say, can only be used for humanitarian and peaceful purposes not to aid their military efforts or their terror groups. Uh, You can expect to be hearing a lot about this on Capitol Hill from legislators, Republicans and Democrats alike, who especially having watched what has taken place in Iran over the last year, uh, the protests, the crackdown, uh, the killing of innocent civilians, all the variety of things that Iran has been up to. Uh, There are many folks who don't believe that there should be any deal uh, being had with the Iranians. And then on the other side, you have the Biden administration And Democrats who say, we need to strike a deal because we can't risk another war where we already have the war between Russia and Ukraine, and we can't have another war in the Middle East. All right, switching gears now, Tori Bowie was once the fastest woman in the world. So when she was found dead last month at just 32 years old, it shocked the sport of track and field. And now an autopsy report released this week is shedding more light on her death. The revelation came from the Orange County Medical Examiner's Office in Florida, and it concludes that Bowie, who was eight months pregnant and found in bed alone in her home, had been undergoing labor. The world champion sprinter and three-time Olympic medalist was found dead by authorities who were called to conduct a wellness check after she hadn't been heard from in several days. 
The report cited possible complications, including respiratory distress and eclampsia, a rare high blood pressure that can cause seizures. Her unborn child also did not survive. The autopsy report listed the weight for Bowie, who was 5'9", as 96 pounds. It also repeatedly described her body and organs as being in normal condition. Her agent, Kimberly Holland, told CBS News in her last conversation with Bowie, they were preparing for the birth of her baby girl, but Bowie wasn't actively performing a home birth when the baby started to arrive. Holland added that Bowie didn't trust hospitals, saying that she wanted to make sure that the baby was going to be okay with her being in control. Jill, this whole story is shining a light on the maternal death rate right now in America, particularly amongst Black women. The number of women who died during or shortly after childbirth in the U.S. is higher than any developed nation. Hypertensive disorders in pregnancy appear to be on the rise in the U.S. as well. And this is a particularly major issue in the Black community. Black women are three times more likely than white women to die from pregnancy-related causes. That's according to the CDC. The maternal death rate for Black women in 2021 was just about 70 per 100,000. Again, that is three times more than a white women. A recent series by the Associated Press looked at why so many Black women die during pregnancy or during childbirth. One reason, according to the reports, doctors don't take them seriously. The AP says it's a reflection of medical racism, bias, and inattentive care to Black Americans. And there's an issue here in particular when it comes to Black female athletes, Jill, that one of Bowie's teammates has been calling attention to. That's Allison Felix. You might recognize her name. She was also a gold medalist on the U.S. relay team. When she was 32 weeks pregnant, Felix was diagnosed with severe preeclampsia and had to undergo an emergency C-section, and her daughter spent the first month of her life in a neonatal ICU. Felix has been outspoken about this uh, as recently as last year. She said, in track and field, the culture around pregnancy is silence. Athletes would either hide their pregnancies to secure new contracts or the contracts already in place were placed on hold, almost like they had an injury. Felix spoke out against Nike, among other companies, who was her sponsor at the time she was pregnant and refused to pay her while she was on maternity leave. She discussed working out in the darkness at 4 a.m. so no one would know about her pregnancy. Fellow runner Tiana Madison is calling attention to Bowie's death here with an Instagram post that's gone viral. The photo shows uh, the four runners, and the caption reads, three of the four of us who ran the second fastest four by 100 meter relay of all time, the 2016 Olympic champions, three of us have either nearly died or died during childbirth. Serena Williams, uh, the tennis star, of course, she wrote an essay saying that she almost died uh, in the days after giving birth to her first daughter, Olympia. She said it started with a pulmonary embolism. It's a condition in which one or more arteries in the lungs becomes blocked by a blood clot. And she said because of her medical history with the problem, she did live in fear of this type of situation. Um, she said it sparked a slew of health complications that she's lucky to have survived. But just the fact that she's talking about it and these other athletes are talking about it, hopefully it helps because it is a serious problem and particularly troubling that it is still a problem in the year 2023 in America. Yeah, and it's a problem that's increasing here, Jill. I mean, they have the issue where especially Black women don't feel listened to by medical establishment, leading to situations like Bowie where she says she doesn't trust doctors, she doesn't trust the hospital. And so she tried to deal with the pregnancy, it appears, herself, and didn't get uh, the uh, medical attention that she needed. So uh, clearly an issue here that needs to be dealt with. And, you know, un unfortunately, uh, the, you know, such a tragedy here, but hopefully it helps bring about some change.
All right, we've got plenty more news, but now time to tell you about some exclusive offers for Mo News listeners and thank a couple of our sponsors. First up is Bowl and Branch. We are so happy to be partnering again with a brand that helps you get an amazing night's sleep, Bowl and Branch. They've got a great sale for Mo News listeners. My husband and I have a pair of these sheets, and we can certainly attest to the fact that they do get softer with every wash. They are made with 100% traceable organic cotton. They're also made without toxins, free from things like synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. They've already been bought by millions of people. And another interesting fact, four U.S. presidents have used bowl and branch sheets. But let's get to the deal here. You can get 15% off your first order when you use the promo code MONEWS at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. And the promo code is MONEWS. All right, now let's get to our next sponsor, Athletic Greens. We're always talking about health trends, food trends on this podcast. We know how hard it is to get all your nutrients, all your vitamins. But one way to try to get all the important ones is the Athletic Greens AG1 powder. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy, quick, and lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten 75 important ingredients including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and your gut health. Athletic Greens has been a sponsor for a while now of the Mo News podcast, and they're offering this special deal right now to the Mo News community. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of the AG1 powder. You can head over to athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or just try it one time for just a month. Again, that website is athleticgreens.com slash monews, that is M-O-N-E-W-S, for this special deal. It's an opportunity to really start to take ownership of your health. All right, time now for the speed read from USA Today. And finally... The Fed rested after its sharpest succession of interest rate hikes in four decades. The Federal Reserve held its key rate held its key rate steady on Wednesday. It's the first time in 11 meetings that the Fed is not increasing interest rates. The decision leaves the benchmark rate at a range of 5%, 5.25%, and it marks the first meeting at which the central bank hasn't raised its federal funds rate in 15 months. But the central bankers did signal that two more increases are likely this year as officials continue to battle high inflation. So that's actually more projected rate hikes than the financial markets and many economists had anticipated. But officials expect faster growth and more persistent inflation than previously forecast, hence the potential increases. Yeah, if you're watching the markets on Wednesday, uh, they took a nosedive uh, upon that headline. Again, they expected that they were going to raise interest rates, but then we're surprised that there will be at least two more this year. It comes as we told you yesterday that the inflation rate, the latest inflation rate, was down to 4%, which is the lowest in two years, but still higher than the Fed and most economists would like as Americans continue to see price increases in key areas. We've been hearing from a number of you who continue to share your stories of the prices you're seeing out there. So this decision right now, for now, to keep interest rates where they are does provide a temporary reprieve of sorts to all of us who've been socked with steady increases in rates for credit cards, adjustable rate mortgages, other loans. Though on the bright side, it has meant for some of you who have uh, good savings in there that you're finally getting higher yields, interest rates as they go up, you're getting better yields on your savings account. Nevertheless, uh, again, we're likely to see at least two increases uh, later this year. Uh, that's if inflation you know, continues to remain 
uh, stubborn and doesn't come down. Though the Fed did say yesterday, Jill, that they do expect to start to cut rates next year uh, if the economy starts to get weak and the inflation gets low enough. From ABC News, a grand jury has indicted former U.S. Marine Daniel Penny in connection with the chokehold death of Jordan Neely aboard a subway train. The exact charges will not be unsealed until Penny appears in court at a later date. Penny was initially arrested on a second-degree manslaughter charge. Video shows Penny, who's 24 years old, putting Neely in a chokehold on May 1st in a New York City subway car. Some witnesses observed Neely making threats. Some told police that Neely was yelling and harassing passengers on the train. Penny held Neely for several minutes, and at some point, Neely stopped moving, but Penny continued to hold him for a period of time. He did remain at the scene to talk to police following the incident. Yeah, the images and video from that day went viral, were discussed uh, across New York City and across the nation. Neely, who was homeless at the time of his death, had a documented mental health history, according to the police. And Neely had been arrested for several incidents on the subway. In his statements, Penny said that he felt the need to intervene. He felt that the people in the subway car were being threatened. He, of course, is now indicted and facing a trial now. Attorneys for Penny saying, we're confident that when a trial jury is tasked with weighing the evidence, they will find Daniel Penny's actions on that train were fully justified. Penny saw a genuine threat and took action to protect the lives of others. Jill, this trial is sure to get a lot of attention when it begins. From the AP and another one, as DJ Khaled would say, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez filed paperwork Wednesday to launch his bid for the Republican presidential nomination. The 45-year-old mayor, the only Hispanic candidate in the race, he joins this crowded race against two other fellow Florida residents, former President Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Suarez is the president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. He's the son of Miami's first Cuban-born mayor. He's gained national attention in recent years for his efforts to lure companies to Miami with an eye toward turning the city into a crypto hub and the next Silicon Valley. Suarez has said he didn't support Trump in either the 2016 or the 2020 presidential elections, instead writing in the names of U.S. Senator Marco Rubio and then Vice President Pence. In 2018, Suarez publicly condemned Trump after reports came out that he had questioned why the United States would accept more immigrants from Haiti and bleep whole countries in Africa. I'm censoring myself, Mosh. Yeah, no, some people are listening to this with kids in the car, so well done, Jill. But times have changed, though, between Trump and Suarez. Uh, Suarez, of course, is running against Trump, but Trump advisors have been praising Suarez's work, helping him promote what he calls the Miami success story. Jill, you mentioned he's also running against Florida governor, the governor of his state, DeSantis. He has been critical of DeSantis, dismissing some of the laws that DeSantis has signed as headline grabbers lacking in substance. Jill, uh, the race for Suarez will be uphill. Uh, he, of course, faces DeSantis, Trump, Christie, Pence, uh, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott. Uh, you know, we've been trying to track everyone jumping in the field here. It appears to be just about a dozen right now. And as we head into the summer, uh, sort of the last moment that someone can jump in a race and hope to gain traction. He is only a mayor right now. So, you know, he's elected with, you know, tens of thousands of votes down there. And remains to be seen what impact he could have in this race. Staying briefly here with 2024 news, Trump announced on Wednesday that his campaign has raised $6.6 million in donations since last Thursday's federal indictment. Is indication so far, Jill, that his supporters are still behind him 
for now. From the Philadelphia Inquirer, Starbucks has been ordered to pay a white ex-employee $25.6 million in a racial discrimination case. Shannon Phillips, a former manager, was fired after two black men were arrested at a Starbucks Philadelphia branch in 2018, leading to large protests. Meanwhile, a black colleague had kept his job. Following a six-day trial in Camden, the jury Monday ordered Starbucks to pay Phillips $25 million in punitive damages and $600,000 in compensatory damages, finding that the coffee giant fired Phillips amid backlash for the episode because she was white. So this lawsuit argued that Phillips, who had been a Starbucks employee for nearly 13 years and oversaw the retail operations in southern New Jersey, Philly, Delaware, and parts of Maryland, had nothing to do with the men's arrests. Rather, the lawsuit argued that Phillips was terminated less than a month after that whole viral encounter. Some of you may remember this. The Starbucks CEO had to travel to the location to apologize, shut down all the stores in the area to have people undergo uh, racial sensitivity training. Anyway, that she was terminated less than a month after all of that because she objected to placing a white district manager at that location on leave. The accusation was that that manager allegedly paid black workers less than their white counterparts. Phillips said she knew that to be factually untrue, unfair, and wouldn't fire that person. So then Starbucks fired Phillips. At the same time, the lawsuit argued that Starbucks declined to punish a black district manager who supervised that location where the arrest took place while suspending and eventually firing another Philly district manager who was also white. Notably, Jill, the black district manager who oversaw that store, Paul Sykes, told the jury that Phillips was a well-liked manager who worked tirelessly following those arrests. Starbucks is declining to comment on the verdict. From CNN, Bud Light has lost its top spot in the U.S. beer market, which it's held for more than two decades to Modelo. This follows a backlash from conservatives over a social media promotion with transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney. In the four-week period ending on June 3rd, Modelo Especial made its way to the top of the U.S. sales charts. Modelo holds 8.4% now of total retail sales in the U.S. beer market compared to Bud Light, which now holds 7.3%. At the start of the year, Bud Light held a 10.3% share. Modelo is at 7.5%. Yeah, for the year right now, Bud Light has still sold the most amount of beer. But when you look at the trends right now, Modelo is taking more of their share. And it's not looking very good for Bud Light right now. Their sales declines have hovered around 25% weekly as conservative pundits and right-wing media's barrage of negative headlines uh, following its partnership with Mulvaney. The brand then issued sort of a tepid response to the controversy that then angered LGBTQ uh, plus community members. And so the, you know, the, the right was upset about partnership here. Uh, and then the left was upset that Bud Light wouldn't stand by the partnership. So both sides essentially pissed off here. A reminder that that partnership with Mulvaney began in early April. The brand sent Mulvaney a beer can with her face to celebrate her first year of, quote, girlhood after her uh, gender transition. But that led to controversy very quickly, uh, including Kid Rock, among others. Uh, posting videos, Kid Rock, uh, notably in his video, shooting assault rifles at Bud Light cans. And finally, from Fortune magazine, the vast majority of women diagnosed with early stage breast cancer today can expect to become long term survivors, not casualties of the disease. This is according to research published in the British Medical Journal this week. 
For those diagnosed with breast cancer, the risk of dying is highest during the first five years after diagnosis. That risk has fallen from 14% in the 1990s to 5% today. That is a substantial improvement, according to the authors. What's more, 60% of those diagnosed between 2010 and 2015 had a five-year mortality risk as low as 3%. The findings are really good news for the great majority of women diagnosed with early breast cancer today because their prognosis has improved so much, according to the authors. Conclusions were drawn from the data of more than half a million English women diagnosed with early invasive breast cancer from 1993 through 2015. All were treated with surgery and follow-up data was gathered in 2020. Among the reasons cited for this decrease in mortality include the development of new therapies, as well as the more precise targeting of interventions like surgery, and radiotherapy. Here in the U.S., cancer deaths have been on the decline for more than three decades and stayed on the decline even with the pandemic raging these past couple of years. That's according to a report earlier this year from the American Cancer Society. This is such good news considering that one in eight, I think the number is, uh, one in eight women in the United States have breast cancer at some point in their lives. And Jill, this has been a big issue for President Biden. He announced an initiative while he was vice president to invest billions uh, to fight cancer, to cure cancer. And it's clear here that uh, they're continuing to make progress here uh, and that, you know, early intervention, uh, getting your mammograms uh, and that uh, treatments have continued to improve the prognosis for so many women. All right. It's now time for Honest Day in History, Jill. We're going to go back nearly a millennia here to the year 1215. King John of England affixed his seal on the Magna Carta. This document enshrined the rule of law and inspired the development of our very own American Constitution several centuries later. All right, now to 1844. On this day, Charles Goodyear, you might recognize that last name, received the patent for the chemical process for making rubber. The process is called vulcanization. Uh, and many of you may be listening to this podcast right now, driving on some Goodyear tires. All right, we'll skip a century ahead to a political scandal back when political scandals were very innocent, Jill. 1992, <laughs> <laughs> on this day in 1992, Vice President Dan Quayle, remember him, instructed a student in a classroom to spell potato with an E at the end. It came during a spelling bee. This was caught on video camera and became quite a national scandal. Apparently, he was relying on a faulty flashcard that had been prepared by the student's teacher. Potato, of course, is P-O-T-A-T-O. No E at the end. Uh, and it led to endless late night jokes and this characterization that, you know, Quail was dumb. It, it was simple, simpler times, Jill, when that was the scandal <laughs> we were facing in the White House. You know, I never knew that it was because of that faulty flashcard. <laughs> I, right, right. Who wrote that flashcard? I mean, Dan Quayle must want to kill them. Dan Quayle might have been like, well, I knew it was wrong, but the teacher wrote it down and I was going off what the teacher gave me in the classroom. Anyhow, there you go. The story behind Potato Gate back in 92. <laughs> As you said, ah, the good old days. <laughs> the good old days when president actually that year around that time, Jill, was also the time that the president at that time, George H.W. Bush, had created his own scandal by saying he hated broccoli. I don't know if many people remember this, but he said he hated broccoli. The broccoli growers were upset. And so you had the broccoli scandal of Bush. You had the potato scandal of quail. I mean, of course, there were serious issues happening at the time as well. But those are some of the more memorable, <laughs> memorable media stories from that era. 
All right, we'd like to send out some birthday wishes today to Neil Patrick Harris. Jill, he turns 50 years old today. Doogie Hauser. we celebrate his birth. He is an Oscar, Emmy, and Tony winner. He's just one short of the EGOT, Jill. We need to get him a Grammy sometime soon. You know, Doogie Hauser has come a long way, Moshe. He has indeed, Jill. And uh, shouldn't be too much of a stretch that Grammy, given, you know, he performs on Broadway and has won a Tony. So we, I think he can get there, Jill. And finally, 25 years ago today, 1998, the Spice Girls began their first tour of America. So, Jill, it was actually two years after their breakout hit, Wannabe, uh, and they went on their worldwide tour, found the Spice World Tour. So they had a bunch of hits there in that two-year period. And finally, as they begin their world tour, there would only be four of them. Ginger Spice, Jerry Hallwell, leaves the group during the tour. And so uh, we would only see, if you went to one of their uh, concerts in 98 in the U.S., only four of the Spice Girls. Uh, really quick rise and fall there for the Spice Girls. But they were iconic. Their music was everywhere in that, in that mid-90s period. Someone I used to work with used to call me Sporty Spice just because I, I wear sneakers with everything. And, and I used to wear sneakers with everything even before like wearing sneakers was cool. So I was, you know what, Moshe, I was ahead of my time, I think is the moral of the story. So, so Victoria was Posh Spice. Jerry Hollow was Ginger Spice. Just a review here. You had Baby Spice, Scary Spice, and then Sporty Spice. And then, of course, Jill playing the role of Sporty Spice for wearing the sneakers everywhere. Uh, <laughs> this is all I have. I'm grasping at straws here. I think they did a reunion so tour recently, but I, you know, I don't know if Ginger was back for that. But I, you know, everything 90s feels like it's coming back these days. All right, everybody, a huge thank you to listening to the Mo News podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Mosh, thanks for <laughs> letting me do this podcast with you, even though I had the night off. Jill, you are mad. Next time I'm going to be like, no, Jill, you have to take the day <laughs> off. Like, But I was like, too nice. I was like, it's her birthday and she really wants to come back. Fine, like, come back and record the podcast with me. That's cool. But got to take a day off one of these days. I think it was a misunderstanding. I thought it was like, we'll, we'll agree to reassess later. Mm. <laughs> but All right. Well, uh, well either way, it's, it's been great to have you. I need to, to get you. a life. <laughs> it's been great to have you. Go enjoy the rest of your day. Okay, I've got a couple hours left. I'm out of here. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.